0: Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new day, this new year. Lord, we don't know what we're going to face in 2011. But since you're omniscient, knowing all, you know exactly what each of us are going to come up against this year. Lord, some of it could be hard, painful, loss. Lord, all we can do is throw ourselves on your mercy today and every day of this year and ask you to lead us. And, Lord, we will follow. Guide us by your word. Guide us by your spirit. Guide us by our brothers and sisters' witness into our lives. Lord, we want to be faithful to you this year because we know that you're going to be faithful to us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Happy New Year to you today. And a blessed New Year also. For you that may be visitors, my name is David Blackburn. I'm one of the pastors here. Next week, Pastor Talkington will be back with us to kick off our new series, Elevate. If I said the word Einstein, what would come to your mind? Heard some things out there. Albert Einstein is known as the father of modern physics and the one who formulated the 20th century's best-known equation. E equals... Now, you that responded, can you come up and tell us what that means? (laughs) I have no idea. I've looked at it and, uh, you know, that's why he's Einstein and I'm Blackburn. (laughs) His great intelligence and originality has made the word Einstein synonymous with genius. And one day when Einstein was teaching physics at Princeton University in the 1940s, he was approached by one of his students In order to complete the requirements for a PhD, this student had to do research on a topic that no one else had ever studied. So he went to Professor Einstein and he asked this question. What is there left in the world for original research? Einstein, known as the smartest man alive at the time, said this. Find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Well, we don't know if that student went on to find out about prayer, but I want us to find out about prayer on this first Sunday of 2011. You see, Christians have mixed and contradictory feelings about prayer. On the one hand, they say prayer is important, and they claim to pray every day. But when they're asked if they find prayer satisfying, they say, no, not really. In fact, it seems most followers of Christ experience prayer more as a pain than a pleasure. They regard prayer as something important in their lives, yes, But at the same time, they feel guilty about their failure to commit so little of their time to prayer. You see, I believe most Christians are intimidated about the whole subject of prayer. And let me just stop and say, because I'm preaching this message about prayer, I'm intimidated by it too. And I struggle with it too. So, we're in this together. The lead pastor of one of America's largest churches wrote about his intimidation with prayer. He said this. He said, I've never thought my prayers were long enough, that they were eloquent enough, or they were powerful enough. He went on to say, if prayer were a sport, and we were picking teams... I would be the last guy picked. And many of us feel the same way this pastor of a multi-thousand congregation feels. But that's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want our feelings about prayer to be a mix of guilt and regret and dissatisfaction. You see, there are hundreds of references to prayer in the Bible. And if you don't get anything out of this message this morning, get this. We must never forget that God does want us to pray. Look at this verse right here. Pray for my eyes, please. (laughs) You know, what a wonderful way to start our year. If we want to make God happy, pray. It makes Him happy when His people pray. So what I want us to consider first this morning is the why of prayer. I believe there's one reason to pray, and when you get right down to it, there is only one reason to pray. And if someone were to ask you tomorrow at work or you go back to school, why should they pray, what would be your answer to them? Well, here's one answer you can give them. We should pray because God always answers us the way we want him to. Yeah, true or false, huh? Not. <laughs> but I just have to ask. Is there anyone here who's had all their prayers answered the way you wanted them answered? And if so, please see me after church because I want you to pray for some things I got going on. You see, I don't know about you. But I've prayed many prayers in my life that weren't answered as I had hoped. And I imagine, because there were no show of hands, that some of you have had the same experiences with prayer. And it's probably safe to say that we've all prayed prayers that weren't answered exactly as we had hoped. But we're not alone in this when it comes to unanswered prayer. Because the Bible tells us stories of prayers that weren't answered. A guy by the name of Moses pleaded with God to go across the Jordan River with the Israelites into the Promised Land. And God said no. He died on the other side of the Promised Land River. King David spent a whole week in fasting and prayer, praying for his infant son who was sick, the son that was born because of an illicit relationship with Bathsheba. But God said no. Even Jesus had the experience of getting a no as an answer to prayer. You know the story in the Garden of Gethsemane, prior to his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus prayed this in Matthew, My Father, if it is possible, do not give me this cup of suffering, but do what you want, not what I want. In the Bible, there are seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And three of those seven sayings were prayers to his father. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. But of course, Jesus wasn't saved from death. So like us, Jesus knew about not receiving what he prayed for. But there are some followers of Christ who seem to think that Jesus promised that there would never be any unanswered prayer. Why would they think that? Why would they think that? Well, I want us to look at two scripture passages that they point to to try to Gird their their thinking. In Mark, it says, Everything you ask for in prayer will be yours, if you only have what? Faith. And then in John, John says, If you ask me for anything in my name, I will what? Do it. Now, these are great verses that encourage me, that encourage you. The problem comes when we take these Scripture promises ...out of context and try to isolate them from the other scriptures around them in the Bible. And that leads to a very dangerous practice that is called and referred to as name it and claim it. The name it and claim it crowd ignore other revelations in God's word which teach the idea of limitations... You see, even Jesus set limits to the request he made. He asked God to not give him the cup of suffering that was associated with the crucifixion and taking all the sins of the world upon himself. But then he said, if it be your will. The truth is, God knows our situations, our circumstances, our needs better than we know them. But still in Philippians chapter 4, we're told to pray and ask God for everything we need. Someone has said, it's what we need, not our greed. And who better than God knows what we need? That's why it's good for us to understand limitations and setting limits to our prayers. There are some things you can pray for every day of this year. Don't have to worry about setting limits or praying limits. You can pray unconditionally for these things to happen. Forgiveness. Compassion. Mercy. Courage. Kindness. A loving attitude. Pray and ask God to give you just bushels and bushels and tons of those things. No limits, God. But there will be other things in your life that you're going to have to pray and set limits. Paul prayed three times for his thorn in the flesh to be removed. And it wasn't removed. The Bible is very clear about prayer. In Romans 12, 12, it says to pray at all times. Not just in church, but at all times. One translation says to be faithful in prayer. Just as we're to be faithful in our witness to the world, faithful in giving, faithful in coming together for worship on Sunday mornings, we are to be faithful in prayer. But let's be honest. How many of you are like me, and you sometimes wonder, what is the point of praying for something to happen. What's the point? In other words, if God knows what we want, God knows what we need, and God knows what's best for us and other people that we love and care for, why should we keep praying to Him with our request for not only ourselves, but everybody else? Why do it? Let's just let God be about the business of running the universe while we do what we can to get by while we're here on earth. There's a story about a devout Jewish man. He's praying at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. It's also called the Wailing Wall. Anybody ever seen pictures of that? You probably have. And the Jewish man is there, and you've seen him too. They, they're there, and they, they close their eyes. They rock back and forth. Sometimes they beat on their chest. They raise their hands. And when this particular Jewish man was finished with doing that, a tourist who had been watching what was going on came up to him and said, what do you pray for? The Jewish man responded, I pray for righteousness. I pray for the health of my family. I pray for peace in the world, especially in Jerusalem. And the tourist asked, well, are these prayers effective? And the Jewish man says, it's like praying to a wall. You didn't get it, did you? (laughs) Got to work on another one. To our questions and our frustrations with prayer, and we all have frustrations and questions about prayer, there's no better answer than the example of Jesus Christ. He knew more than any of us know the wisdom and sovereignty of God the Father. And nevertheless, Jesus, while He was here on earth, felt a strong need to pray. So here it is. If someone asks you, why should we pray? The one reason to pray is that Jesus prayed. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are numerous instances when He prayed. Luke 5, 16, in fact, sums up, The prayer life of Jesus. And I want you to read it with me. But Jesus would often go to some place where he could be alone and pray. Often would go to some place to be alone and pray. That sums up the prayer life of our Lord and Savior. The fact that Jesus prayed is powerful evidence of the worth and importance of prayer. Hey now, this is Jesus we're talking about. This is Jesus, God in human form, but He still prayed. Someone said, Jesus clung to prayer as a lifeline, for it gave Him both the guidance and the energy to do the Father's will. Read the Gospels. Jesus faced opposition, frustration, conflict, betrayal in his years on earth. And for spiritual strength and encouragement, Jesus relied on the same thing that you and I can rely on in 2011. That's prayer. Jesus also counted on prayer as a source of equipping him so that he could carry out a partnership of cooperation with God on earth. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. And that brings us to a new understanding of the meaning of prayer. Prayer is not only conversation with God, not only conversation with God, it's cooperation with God. We pray not merely to make requests of God. We pray to hear what request God has for us. You see, in answering prayers that we pray on a daily basis, God usually has requests for us. Many times, God relies on human beings for those answers. God has chosen to express His love and grace in the world through those of us who are the body of Christ. God is still present, as physical and real today as He was in the days of Jesus. God still walks on the earth just as Jesus did. Do you know how? Point to yourself. Pat yourself in the chest. He walks through you and me. In those of us who've committed our lives to serving and honoring God. In those of us who've been forgiven. And have the Holy Spirit in some miraculous way living within us in our spirit. I listen to Joy FM. It's at 99.1 FM. A great Christian contemporary Christian uh, music station out of St. Louis. And I'd, if you're looking for a station, WIBI is a good station, but this has a little stronger signal, Joy FM 99.1. And a very amazing thing happened on Friday, December the 17th. That day, as I was here in the church and I had it on and I was listening, and they were asking the listeners to sponsor children who lived in the country of Columbia, South America. These were very poor and needy children who were on a waiting list to become a part of the Compassion Children ministry. And so when they got to that child's name, if there was a sponsor for that child, in other words, that child that could be bumped in to one of the local Compassion programs. You know, that's something we know that God wanted to take place for those children. God wanted them to receive at least one good meal a day, to have some clean clothing, to get a basic fundamental education and also learn about the love of Jesus Christ. By the way, we as a church sponsor five Compassion children around the world. But this was only going to happen for these kids in Columbia if the people in the St. Louis metro area who listen to Joy FM... Would pray and ask God what they should do and then respond to what God told them to do. And I was blown away as well as the management of that radio station. It was a wonderful response. Over 900 children were sponsored in just 12 hours' time. Wow. You see, the prayers of those children in Colombia, the prayers of their parents, were answered by God. He answered by using people who live thousands of miles away to cooperate with Him and the compassion ministry. You know, some worry that prayer may lead to passivity, that will make prayer a substitute for action. Have you ever heard the phrase, put feet to your prayers? where Jesus saw no contradiction between the two, prayer and action. Jesus spent considerable amount of time in prayer during His ministry on earth. But He also, as you read through the Gospels, spent a lot of time in action meeting human needs. So prayer helps us be in cooperation with God in what He wants us to do in the lives of those living near us, in our home, our neighborhood, where we work, but also those we may never ever see in this life who live thousands of miles away in a country called Colombia. You see, it's true that God's work on earth is accomplished through a mysterious mix of His intervention and our human actions. God's work gets done that way. So why should we pray? We should pray to communicate with God just as our Lord and Savior did. We should pray, yes, to make requests of our Heavenly Father, but also have spiritual ears to hear the request He has for us. That's the why. Let's move on to the how of prayer. You can go to the Christian bookstore and buy a variety of books on how to pray. But I just wanted to give you a few thoughts, some suggestions, perhaps inspire you to think of ways To make prayer a daily part of your life in 2011. When I say prayer time, what comes to mind? Sitting in a darkened church. Maybe kneeling before a cross. Putting your hands together and, and bowing your head at a table. These are all ways to pray. And all of them are okay. However, there are probably as many ways to pray as there are people in this room today. An interesting story is told about a lady by the name of Susanna Wesley. She was John Wesley's mother. For those of you that, that may have a Methodist background, John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement. Susanna had a total of 19 children, but only 10 lived out of infancy. And this incredible woman made time every day for prayer. And her habit was to sit in the middle of her kitchen on a chair and take her apron, put it over her head, and pray. Now you can imagine, or maybe we can't imagine what those ten kids were doing while mom was under the apron doing a little prayer time with God. But whatever it was, it set a profound example for them. John. And Charles, who became great pillars of the church. And if I were to ask you, sitting probably seems to be the most preferred position in prayer. However, when you look in the Bible, there's nothing prohibiting us in Scripture or by way of custom from praying while moving. Before my wife and I were married, she had two golden retrievers. And she would take them for walks and she would recite what she called the ABC prayer. Anybody know that one? Well, as she walked, she would think of things she was thankful for in that particular day or in the days that had gone before. And she would begin with the letter A and give thanks to God for something. Maybe apples. She would move on to B. Maybe Bible. And on through the the alphabet as far as she could go while she walked her dogs, praying to God in a simple little children way, child's way. But she liked to walk and pray. I like to walk and pray. Some of you probably like to walk and pray. Don't get hung up on the posture of prayer. I think another stereotype we tend to have other than this position of prayer is the prose of prayer. Many think our prayers have to be some kind of flowery language and, and filled with all the these and the vows of the King James Version that we, we gotta really up the ante with our grammar and all that stuff. But I say no. You know, God wants to hear from you in your everyday language. Just as you would talk to someone over a cup of coffee in the cafe about what's going on, what's happened since you saw them from last Sunday, just talk in that way. God also wants us just to tell it like it is because being omniscient, he knows about it already. Don't hem and haw. Don't try to hide your feelings or your wishes. Maybe we should take a cue from the children because if you've ever read children's prayers, they just pray it like it is. Eight-year-old Emily prayed this. She said, dear God, thank you for the baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. I like what James says. If you are having trouble, you should pray. Anybody have any trouble in 2010? It's okay to raise your hand. You're among friends. Any kind of trouble, financial, job, marriage, I mean, you name it, probably we all had some kind of trouble. Guess what? It's a new year, a new calendar, you're going to have trouble this year. And I don't mean to be a bearer of bad news. It's called life. And if you're having trouble, James reminds us we should pray. Just let God know about it. Pour it out. God, I need help with this. Pray what's on your mind. If your boss is driving you crazy, talk to God about him or her. When you find out your dad or your mom or someone you love has cancer, pray that God would heal them. If your marriage is in bad shape, ask God to help. If you're considering this year some large financial purchase, a house, a car, whatever it might be, ask God for wisdom. Kids, you go back to school tomorrow, most of you. Ask God when you're going to take a test or work on a term paper. Ask God for direction. He wants us to involve Him in all aspects of our life. Another stumbling block can be that we don't even know how to start prayer. And in those times... It can be helpful just to uh, find a scripture verse in the Bible that, that uh, you just begin to pray it. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just find a scripture verse that maybe is dealing with something you're struggling with. Because the Bible is full of verses about life's trials, about life's test, about life's test temptations. The Bible is a book of reality. Just as applicable today in 2011 as it was written 2,000 years ago. And if you don't read the Bible, you're cutting yourself off from a source of help that you'll never find anywhere else. I personally also find it helpful to have a list of prayer, or of people, and prayer requests that I want to pray for. And I have a little 50-cent book. This is my little prayer book. And... You know, some of you are in here, and I'm not going to share this with you and and, uh, see if you're in here. Don't ask me after church, am I in your book? (laughs) You're in here because I'm praying about the needs and requests that you have mentioned to me in conversation. So you could get a small notebook like this, or you could take a sheet of paper where you can write the request Put it in your bible or somewhere at home where you can find it when you go to pray And you will be amazed as I have been amazed by using this at your ability to pray for people And their request when you hand them written down If you're like me people talk to you all the time about you know, I got this going on I got this in my life and you want to pray for them. But unless you write it down You're going to forget So I try to write it down, the name and maybe just one or two things about what's going on. I put a date on it so it can go back and track, hey, did God answer that prayer? I also use it as a reminder to connect with that person later, whether it's at church or by phone or by email, and let them know I'm trying to remember their need and continue in prayer. So I challenge you to use a prayer list. Probably the greatest difficulty that all of us face in prayer is something called distraction. How many times have you started to pray to discover that your mind was moving to what you're going to have for dinner? Or maybe you forgot to take the trash bin out to the curb on trash day. I read some real good advice concerning this. The person said it helped them, again, to have a piece of paper... And a pen close by, whether they were going to sit and pray or wherever they were going to be. And whatever came to their mind as a distraction, but that distraction might be important. And as it came to their mind, they just wrote it down. Trash. Whatever it might be. Dinner. Call Joe. And they would then quickly go back to prayer. They were going to acknowledge that distractions do come, but they weren't going to get sidetracked by the distraction. Write it down. That freed their mind to go on in prayer. Our minds are on overload with information. And they can, and most of the time, do wander when we begin to pray. Now, don't forget that it doesn't serve the devil's interest for you and me to pray either. So maybe He's the one inspiring some of the distraction and even the boredom that can come when we can begin to pray. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever been bored in prayer. That's why I think it's good that we find a quiet place. What does it say about Jesus? He went alone to pray. You found a quiet place. Maybe you would go into the woods. Maybe you go into your backyard. Maybe you go into an unused room in your house where the TV's not on. Or maybe you're one like me that likes to pray occasionally when I'm driving, turn the radio off and just pray as I drive. Try to remove and limit some of the distraction in our life. I read this somewhere. When prayer becomes an empty, meaningless ritual... It is boring. But when you remember who you're talking to, when you acknowledge that the God of the universe is honestly, truly happy to hear from you, remember the verse, that truth alone will change your attitude from prayer. So this person said, move the focus from yourself to God. And that's the beginning of making prayer fresh and exciting. Most of us have a close friend, a best friend, that we talk to and we can talk honestly and openly and hopefully frequently to them. They're a safe person for us. Would you be satisfied speaking with that best friend, that close friend, just once every few months or maybe every few weeks. And I'd like to remind you that in 2011, the best friend you're ever going to have its not your spouse. And thank God for your spouse. It's not your mom or your dad. Thank God for your mom and your dad. But the best friend you're going to ever have in 2011 is God. And God wants to communicate with us All the time. First Thessalonians, excuse me, Thessalonians says this. You know, you don't need some preacher or some Bible scholar to interpret that for you. All of you know what that means. God's command through Paul to pray continually isn't necessarily calling for longer prayers. That's why Friday night you can come and you can pray for five minutes or you can pray for three hours. God's not calling for not necessarily longer prayers, but He is calling for more frequent prayers. The thought here is to pray persistently and regularly. You see, the more often we pray throughout our day, the more our lives will be infused with what I want to refer to as a God consciousness. It will heighten our dependency and our need for God in every situation. You know, when you have a tough decision to make, ask God for His help. Just take a moment. You don't have to drop on your knees in the middle of the office and raise your hands and begin blabbering out something. Just take a moment. When someone shares a need with you over the phone or here in the uh, commons area, take a moment, step off the side and offer to pray at that very moment. You see, there are numerous times throughout your day and throughout my day where just a brief sentence or two in prayer would encourage me would encourage you and strengthen us and help us make it not only through that day, but maybe through that week and through that month and through the whole year 2011. I learned a long time that for me to have a good day, I needed to be God conscious through prayer all through my day. So here are some key points, takeaways for The how of prayer. Friends, just start. Just start. You can read all the books you want. But at some point in time, you're going to just have to start. Pray standing. Pray sitting. Pray driving. Pray running. A lot of you are joggers. Pray on the treadmill. Whatever it is, don't worry about posture. Pray in your everyday language. Pray like you would when you're talking to me. Or someone else that you're close to. Pray about everything. Don't say to God, this is off limits. I'll pray about my finances because I really want you to bless me there. But I'm not going to pray about my marriage. I'm not going to pray about my kids. But come over here to the finances, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pray about everything. Have a prayer list. Get a little book, piece of paper, whatever going to work best for you. Don't let distraction stop you. I'm not going to tell you. You're not going to be distracted. You will be distracted in prayer. But don't let them stop you. Just move on after you've got some kind of technique to get past it. And then, finally, pray often. Pray throughout your day. As one of the pastors here at Faith Fellowship, and I know I can speak for Pastor Talkington We want to be a praying people We want us to be a praying people We want faith fellowship to be a praying church I want us to pray for ourselves and our families Yes, you should pray And if you're not praying for your family, who else is? If you're not praying for your children, who else is? You should pray for your family and your children and your needs but I want us also to pray for one another in the church to reach out beyond our own borders. I want us to pray for the world and all the great needs that are around us. You may not know, but we have a prayer team here at the church that prays for needs and requests that are submitted to the church office. On the worship guide, there's a place where you can fill in anonymously if you want, or you can put your first name. A prayer request that's submitted to the church office and then by way of an email we disseminate that information in a confidential manner to our prayer team and they pray for the needs. I want us to pray as a church for what God wants for faith fellowship in 2011. I want us to pray for the people He wants us to reach as a church this year. And the ministries that He wants us to support. And as you've heard, this Friday from 5 to 8, this room will be open. There'll be some soft music on. There'll be some communion that you can partake of. There'll be no agenda. Nobody's going to take names. Nobody's going to force you what to pray. You can pray in your seat. You can pray at the front here. You can kneel. You can lay on the floor. You can walk, whatever you want to do. But it'll be open from 5 to 8. So you can come and pray, maybe as a family. What better way to bring your children and find a place in the back and just pray with your kids? Or you can come and pray as a couple or come and just pray by yourself. Come and pray five minutes, 15 minutes, however short or as long as you desire. But come and pray and ask God to do some extraordinary things in your life in 2011 and in the life of this church. I have a book entitled, Something Happens When Churches Praying. What a tremendous title. And something does happen. And it's all good when people who are the church, you're the church. You're the church. It's not this building. Something happens when people pray. The church prays. Something beyond what you can imagine happens. When we pray, God can give us boldness and love and power and grace. When we pray, God can expand the witness of our church throughout this county, throughout this state, throughout the world. When we pray, God works. Always has. Always will. You see, church members must pray together. Church leaders must pray together. Families at home must pray together. Husbands, pray for your wives. Wives, pray for your husbands. Parents, you need to set the example. My wife was telling me the other day that she saw a video from a teaching, and the speaker said that by the time a child's 13, their values have been set for life. He said, you tell me what a child believes at 13, and I'll tell you what they believe for the rest of their life. Have your kids ever seen you pray other than for the meal? You ever told your children, you know, we're dealing with something, kids, and we want to pray and want you to pray with us? Set the example. How will your children grow up to be men and women of prayer if you have never shown them what it means to be a man or woman of prayer? Grandparents, you're not going to get let out on this. Pray for your grandchildren. See, I know prayer has a vital role to play and is necessary to protect the home. You may have the best insurance. You may have a great job. You may have the the automatic alarm around your house and all that stuff. But I'm talking about to protect your home spiritually from the enemy of our soul in 2011. You better be praying for your home. Not to scare you, but to warn you in love. When we pray together as a church family, and when we pray together in our families at home, something happens. That kind of prayer changes lives to the glory of God. Something happens when churches pray, because when we pray, the Holy Spirit uses our prayers to accomplish God's will. Whether it's in Columbia, South America, or whether it's in Bethaldo, Cottage Hills, Alton, wherever it might be. When we're praying, He releases the power of God. And ordinary people like you and me can do extraordinary things because the Spirit of God is at work. You want to see some extraordinary things take place in your life in 2011? I know as a pastor, I want some extraordinary, wonderful, God-blessed things to take place in your life. Your family, your finances, your health, your relationships, our church, our country. So get started. Pray today. Pray for your food at lunch. You better be praying when the Rams play a little bit later. Tonight, before you go to bed, pray. Talk to God, just whatever's on your heart. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. Cry out to Him if you need to. If you're hurting, tell God. If you feel alone, ask Him to comfort you with His presence. If you've been away from God for a while, maybe it's been a long time, tell Him you're ready to come home. 2011 is going to be your year. God, I'm coming closer to you. I'm coming home. Do you remember the movie, The Field of Dreams? Anybody ever been there in Iowa? A few of you. I've been there too. Pretty impressive. There was a famous phrase that came out of that movie. If you... Whoa. Let me help you with a few more words. If you build it, they... There we go. Well, here's a phrase for us today. Today. And every day of this new year, if you pray, he will listen. If you pray, he will listen. The Lord watches over everyone who obeys him. And he, what? Listens to their prayers. We're going to pray. The band's going to come and sing a song and close us out. But I'm going to stay at the front. And if anybody wants to come and pray about anything that's going on in your heart, in your life, feel free to come and I'll be happy to pray with you. Lord God, disciples came to Jesus and said, Teach us to pray. And Lord, I don't think it's so much that we need to be taught how to pray, we need to just pray. We've heard sermons. We've read books. We felt guilty about not praying. And Lord, you're not trying to lay a guilt trip on us today. And that was not my intent to lay a guilt trip on these people that I care for. Just trying to encourage all of us, myself included, because Lord, you know my heart. You know that I struggle here. But I also know, Lord, that prayer is so important for my home my life, this church. Lord, I pray that your people will take to heart what we said and they'll pray. They'll cry out to the one who loves them more than anyone else. Lord, let it be. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.